Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Well, I want to say once again, welcome. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. And it's just a joy to have you with us today. If you're joining us online or over in the chapel, a special welcome to you as well. There are primarily two different types of vacations. There are the vacations where you go to see something, where you go explore, and it might be ruins, it might be museums, but these kind of vacations are, are, are sort of an adventure where you're going to just take it in and maybe even learn something. How many prefer that kind of vacation? You like going to see, explore, hit a few museums along the way. The second kind of vacation is the kind where you go and you chill and you relax. Now, now the, the epitome and the pinnacle of the relaxation vacation is either the cruise or the all-inclusive resort. The cruise, you get on the boat and then you start eating, right? The, the resort, you get there and it's like, well, what are we gonna have for lunch? And the question after that is, where should we go for dinner? And, and, and hey, here's the deal. When you go to one of those resorts, the hardest part of your day is deciding what you're going to eat. And the answer to that question is everything. Everything. Uh, my wife and I had the chance to get away for a few days, just us two, a few weeks ago, and uh, spent uh, some time in Mexico, and we went to one of those all-inclusive resorts. And um, uh, I got there the first day, and I had sort of in the back of my mind, even as a stated goal, not just back of my mind, um, I'm going to go running every day. And I got up that first day, and I went running, and I was like so proud of myself. The next day, I woke up. And I was like, you know, every other day is not that bad. I'm just going to sleep in. <laughs> day after that, got up, ran. Day after that, I woke, up, I, I woke up and I went, you know, we do a lot of walking <laughs> around this resort. And I'm just going to count that as my exercise. I mean, I was so full that I couldn't run. And a lot of mornings before I, I get out of bed, I have this practice of just saying the Lord's Prayer before my feet hit the floor. It's been a good practice for me over the years. And so I'm in my bed and I'm praying, Lord, give me today my daily bread. <laughs> and I'm praying it knowing full well that there is what has to be a nearly five-star restaurant ready to serve me breakfast whenever I get out of my room, walk down the stairs and walk into said restaurant. And I'm praying it and I think to myself, that's a disingenuous prayer. Hey, give me today my daily bread. God, I don't know where it's gonna come from. I know where it's gonna come from. It's coming from the restaurant that I can smell right now. That's where it's coming from. So how do, I, how do I pray, give me my bread when I know quite well where my bread's coming from? And then I had this moment, Lord, I don't know if I've ever genuinely prayed, give me today my daily bread without at least an assumption, a thought, a guess, 
of where it might come from. Now, I was reminded yesterday at our men's breakfast when we got to hear from Donnie D, who's the president of the San Diego Rescue Mission, that that has not been everybody's experience. There are people who have genuinely, people all around the globe who genuinely pray, God, give me today my daily bread without knowing where it's gonna come from and without knowing if or how God may answer that prayer. It just hasn't been my experience. In fact, in fact, my guess is it may not have been yours either. I mean, how do we genuinely pray? Give me today my daily bread when we have a credit card in our pocket and DoorDash on our phone. How do we pray? Give me today my daily bread with a refrigerator full of food and a pantry full of bread. I mean, I'm serious. How do we enter back into this and pray with a genuine heart? God, would you give me, would you grant me? I mean, I think we do our best to choreograph our lives to the point where we don't have any needs, right? Like, I mean, I have an Amazon Prime subscription where I have subscriptions to things that come to my house without me even thinking about it. Not only do I not pray about it, but I don't even think about it. Is anybody with, am I alone in this? So, so how do we enter back into this spray, space of praying with a genuine heart? Give me today my daily bread. It's the way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And he taught them to pray that way for two reasons. One, he wanted them to know that God was their provider. But secondly, he wanted them to know that they were completely dependent And those who lived in an agrarian culture, they they got this maybe a little bit better than we do because they knew that they could go out and they could till the soil and they could plant the seeds and they could care for those crops, but they knew those crops were only going to grow if it what? Rained, if it rained. They, They had this realization, my life is completely in your hands. And as I was wrestling with that this week, I felt like the Lord really just spoke to my heart and maybe he'll speak to yours in the same way to show me this truth that we are just as dependent, but we are not as aware. We are just as dependent, but we are not as aware that from beginning to end, our lives are in his hands. And that's what the text we're gonna look at today The sacrifice we're gonna explore today is all about. If you weren't here last week, we started this series that we're calling Altered Lives as we lead up to Easter and the celebration of the resurrection. And because I'd gotten so many emails from you guys about wanting to study the book of Leviticus, I thought, well, let's over the next few weeks leading up to Easter, let's dive into the book of Leviticus. The book of Exodus ends with the tabernacle being constructed with the presence of God, the glory of God, the the Shekinah glory, manifest presence of God coming to dwell in the midst of God's people in the tabernacle, but the people are not able to enter the tabernacle. Uh, God is, is close, but he's not accessible. And Leviticus picks up where Exodus leaves off and it attempts to answer this question, how do we become the kind of people who can enter the presence of God? How do we become the kind of people who enjoy the presence of God? And I think it's a good question for us because 
It's what we were designed for. And I, I don't, I don't wanna miss a, a deeper connection to the God of the universe. I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't want my busyness and I don't want my distraction and I don't want my coldness or my self-centeredness or my, my heart. I don't wanna miss the presence of God if he's more accessible than maybe I'm currently experiencing. Are you with me? And that's what these sacrifices are all about. See, the five sacrifices in the beginning of Leviticus paint pictures that create a pathway for us of how to enter into the presence of God. And Leviticus's answer to how do we enter into the presence of God in one word is, is you bring an offering. You bring an offering. An offering quite literally is a drawing near thing. It's a way to draw near to the presence of God. So the Israelites would bring these series of five offerings. They would bring it up to the tabernacle. You know, what's really interesting is that as the Israelites would approach the the tabernacle, there were these, these curtains about 30 feet tall that they would walk up to. They would be walking from the east towards the west. They would walk up to the very entrance of the tabernacle. And do you know what they would see on the curtains of the tabernacle? Cherubim that were embroidered on those curtains. Now, what was stationed outside of the Garden of Eden to keep Adam and Eve from going back into the garden? Cherubim, cherubim. So this is a picture, the people of God, this is a picture of them coming into the presence of God, drawing near to God. They're approaching these two cherubim as though Adam and Eve would have approached the Garden of Eden. They're being drawn back to what God's original design was. That's what this is all about. So if you have a Bible, would you open with me Leviticus chapter two is where we're gonna be today. Leviticus chapter two. Last week, we talked about the burnt offering. The burnt offering was given for for atonement, it said, in order to make a covering. A covering for what? Sin. Right? The animal was both payment because the wages of sin is death and the animal was purity, creating pure space for the people of God to engage with God. The blood, the perfect blood of the animal was spread all over like spiritual bleach, creating a clean space for people to interact with God. That was the first offering. The second offering is called a grain offering. Leviticus chapter two, starting in verse one. Are you there? Three of you are on daylight savings time. I will take that. Let's go. It says this. And when anyone brings a grain offering to the Lord, their offering is to be of the finest. Someone say finest flour. They're to pour olive oil on it, put incense on it and take it to Aaron's sons, the priests. And the priest shall take a handful of flour and oil together with all the incense and burn it as a memorial portion on the altar. The rest of the grain offering belongs to Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the food offerings presented to the Lord. So immediately we start to see that there are some distinct differences between the burnt offering and the grain offering. Primarily, there's no blood. There's no, there's no animal. The burnt offering was all about barbecue. 
The grain offering's all about baking, all right? Secondly, because there's no blood, there's also no atonement. There's no, there's no covering. This isn't, this isn't what this offering is all about. So what is it about? Well, if you were to ask somebody today, what are the building blocks of life? They would probably answer, well, DNA. DNA is the, are the building blocks of life. It's often how we refer to the building blocks. But if you were to ask somebody back in the days of Leviticus, what are the building blocks of life? What are the most fundamental aspects of being human? They would say, well, bread, bread. It's the most basic fundamental thing that we need in order to survive. And I love this picture of people bringing what's most fundamental, what's most basic, bringing it to God and offering it back to him. They're taking their work, the the dirt on their hands that they've used to till a ground, to plant a field, to grow a crop, and they're bringing it back to God. It's this picture of the fact that that, that worship and work are distinctly related. It's the idea that, that, that worship isn't just what we do with our spiritual life. It's what we do with our whole life. It's a picture that God can take what's most common and make it most sacred. There's a lot that's going on in this sacrifice. And the Israelites would have been really familiar with this kind of a sacrifice. See, in Egypt, they would have seen the Egyptians sacrificing grain offerings to the god Osiris, but they were offering them for a different reason. They were offering grain to the god Osiris in hopes that the god Osiris would give them more. If we give you this, will you give us that? Sort of a quid pro quo relationship with the gods. But this was a distinctly different kind of offering. They were offering it as a, did anybody catch it? What's the word? Memorial. A memorial. It was a a remembrance offering. It was an offering where you take inventory of all the good things that God has given and you recognize that he's the giver of how much of it? All of it. And you bring a portion back to him. Verses two, verse nine, verse 16, all use this phrase, a memorial to the Lord. And what's going on? in this sacrifice. Well, the picture is that we offer a portion to remember that God is the source of all provision. We offer a portion to remember that God is the source of all provision. They're they're burning up a bit of their food to remember that all of their food ultimately comes from God. And as that smoke rises, their lives begin to be filled with a new sense of freedom because they are unshackled from the bonds of believing that their lives are only or ultimately in their hands. That's a huge burden to bear. That's a huge burden to bear. And they're broken out of that prison to realize, no, 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 my, 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 my whole life from beginning to end is in the hands of God. And sometimes we need to offer some of those fundamental building blocks back to God to remember 
that he's the giver ultimately of it all. It's really interesting to me that in verse 13, they're commanded to season your grain offerings with salt. Don't leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. Add salt to all your offerings. It says it three times. Like God doesn't want him to miss it. It is, does God just have an affinity for sodium? Like, is that what this is all about? Is God as frustrated when we go to some of those Mexican restaurants in Escondido, when you order the basket of chips and there's like no salt on them? Does God, does God feel your pain in that? What, what's the deal? Now salt, he tells us, is a symbol of what? The covenant. It's a, salt is a picture of preserving. And God says, I want you to, to remember that your lives are being preserved by, by a covenant. Oh, what's the covenant? Well, if you were to read on in Leviticus, you'd see, here's the covenant. And if you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in season and the land shall yield its increase and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest. The grape harvest shall last to the time for sowing and you shall eat your what? Bread. You shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land. Put the salt on the offering to remember it's all gift. It's all grace and it's all from God. That's the picture that's being painted. Now, so my question is, um, uh, what does that have to do with 2023? Because my guess is that nobody brought grain today. Amen? Like none of, you, none of you brought your grain truck to go, okay, Paulson, where do I put my portion? And where's the fire? And how are we gonna burn this up? Well, what does this look like in 2023? Well, I would suggest to you that our grain is our money. It's our time. It's our resources. It's the, the fundamental building blocks of our own lives. And remember, the, the picture creates a pathway. And I think what God would say to us through this sacrifice is when we give a portion back to God, we remember that he is a source of all provision. And as we give that portion, it starts to break the chains of our heart that our self-reliance, God, I need to do this on my own. And it points us back to him to remember he's the giver of every good thing. So let's dive into some of the details and try to figure out, okay, God, what do we, what do, we do with this? And, and how do we step into this pathway with a little bit more life and vibrancy? Because I, if there's more of your presence that's available for me to engage, I want it. How about you? And I understand that anytime we talk about money in church, there's people who have like red flags and antennas that go up and like, is this gonna turn into some form of manipulation? And I just wanna assure you, this is about discipleship. It's not about manipulation. We're not building any buildings. We're not doing nothing like that, okay? Nothing like that. And this is between you and God. But ultimately God cares about what we do with our stuff because what we do with our stuff is really tied to what goes on in our heart. So let's look at the way that this offering paints a better picture of what it looks like to walk with God and others well. 
Jump back to verse one with me because uh, verse one, one through three really set the standard for this offering. And then the rest of the passage will echo it with uh, different types of grain offering, but this is ultimately what's going on. And God said this, when anyone brings the grain offering to the Lord, their offering is to be of the what? Finest. Now, how do you create the finest flour? Well, you, you take the, the wheat, you take the shaft, you grind it down as much as you can. And then you probably do it a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. The finest flour is the flour that you have spent the most time with. The finest flour is what you've invested the most energy into. The finest flour because of that would be the most expensive flour. And because of that, it's the best flour. And so what God says is, listen, I don't want you to bring the chips that are at the bottom of the bag that are all crunched. I'm on a chip kick today. <laughs> it's not even in my notes. I must want chips. I like with salt on them though, of course. I, he's like, I don't want the, I don't want that offering. I don't, I don't want the bread that's like in the bottom of the refrigerator that has a little bit of mold growing on it that you want to get rid of anyway. Like, I, I don't want that. I want the what? I want the finest. I want the finest. And God's telling them, bring me your best. Bring me your best. Why? Does he want to, does he want to rob them? Does he want to shortchange them? Why wouldn't something middle of the road be, be just fine? Here's why. Because when we bring God what we value, we implicitly declare you're more valuable. You're more valuable than this. You bring him the chips crunched in the bottom of the bag and you give those to him, what you're saying is you're more valuable than this. And I wonder if he looks back at us sometimes and goes, thank you? But when you bring him your best, when you bring him your finest, you declare you are better than even the best things that I have. And what's going on when we do that? We are loosening the grip of idolatry in our hearts. We're saying, God, you are ultimate. God, you are better than even the best that I have on this earth. And this is a journey that God wanted to take the Israelite people on throughout their time in the desert. He wanted them to learn this lesson. Listen to the way that Deuteronomy chapter eight recounts this truth. He says, and he, God humbled you and let you hunger. Oh, but then he fed you with manna, which you didn't know nor did your fathers know that he might make you know. Oh, I love that. That he might make you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And what God's saying is, I orchestrated your experience walking throughout that desert wilderness to get you to the point where you recognized I may need bread to exist, but I need God to live. 
I need bread to exist, but I need God to live. The thing that my soul longs for most is ultimately not to have an overflowing belly, but to have a soul that knows that it is eternally loved and eternally cared for and eternally valued and eternally known by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's what I long for deepest. That's what you long for most. And sometimes when we're holding on to our stuff so tightly, we lose sight of the reality that we were created for more. I'll never forget when Jane came into my office and she had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And she said, Ryan, I don't know when I'm gonna die, but it's gonna be fairly soon. And I wanna plan my memorial service. And so I got to hear about her life, which was such a gift to be able to hear about the ways that God had moved and the things that God had done and be able to talk about the songs that she wanted to sing at, she wanted to have sung at her service. And then she looked at me towards the end of it and she said, Ryan, cancer is the best thing that ever happened to me. And then she said it again. She leaned in a little bit and she said, it's the best. Because my, my face must have been like, she said, it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. She said, I started to realize in new ways how sweet relationship with Jesus is. My, my heart opened up. If I were to put it in the context of, of Deuteronomy 8 or the great offering, I started to, I started to realize that, that I don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of, the, of God and, and the word that comes out of his mouth is beloved. Oh man, there's something beautiful and, and so sweet in that. It's the reason that the apostle Paul would write, I count everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Nothing's better. Nothing's more beautiful. Nothing's more important. Nothing's more majestic. And I think what Paul's saying is I had to walk through loss in order to recognize that Jesus is better. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him. He's going, this is what it's all about. And when we're hoarding and holding our stuff so tightly, man, sometimes our heart isn't open to see that. So you bring your best and you get to realize God is better and that's the gift that keeps on giving. That, that will reorient your soul. There's freedom there. Listen to what, he said next, verse 14, jump down there with me in Leviticus 2. It's the next thing I wanna point out about the grain offering. It says this, if you offer a grain offering, offer, uh, if you offer a grain offering of first fruits, quick time out. First fruits would later be a festival, a feast that the Israelite people would celebrate every single year. But here we see it framed as a subset of a grain offering. So when you celebrate the feast of first fruits, if you're an Israelite, you are celebrating a grain offering. You shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits, fresh ears, roasted with fire, crushed new grain. And you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain 
offering. So they brought their finest, but they also brought their what? Their first. They brought their first. See, when the Israelites brought their first, it was their way of saying, God, we don't get to control what comes after this. You do. So we're going to take the the first grain that comes out of the ground in the spring and we are going to take it and we are going to offer it back to you. We're going to burn part of the first that we harvest to remember there is more that's coming after it. The God who gave the first will be faithful to give the rest. It's just the beginning. And so not only does bringing our grain offering start to loosen the grip of idolatry, it also breaks the chains of scarcity. And I've been thinking about this week, that this week and so much of the time, our mindset can just drift into scarcity thinking, can't it? Just limited in what God can do. And I think there's two primary ways that we often see this. The first is what I'm going to call, I will never have enough thinking. I just need, just need a little, you know, that famous Rockefeller quote, how much money will be enough? Just a little bit more, just a little bit more. Um, We heard it in the greatest showman, right? (laughs) Nobody here did evidently, but some people, there's a song, never enough. All the shine of a thousand spotlights, all the stars we steal from the night sky, they'll never be enough, never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world, but it'll never be enough. No one? No, no one. Fair enough. And I think so much of the time we step into this, it's never gonna be enough. So how could I give my... How could I give my first if I have in the back of my mind this question? Will God provide, really provide the rest? Am I, am I going to have enough? And so we, we, we have a tendency to hoard. We, we hoard our, our contacts, we hoard our knowledge, we hoard our resources, we, we hoard our time. We feel like if we give anything away, it's gonna come back and haunt us. Everybody's in competition with us. If I help them, then they're going to get a little bit up on me. And I'm just not sure. Will I ever really truly have enough? And I'm reminded that the things that we try to control often end up controlling us. And that I will never have enough mindset has the ability to shape an entire life. It's why the apostle Paul would write to the church in Philippi and say, and my God might supply. Wait, is that what he said? No, my God will supply every need. Somebody say every need, every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so the scriptures want to just explode this scarcity mindset with an invitation to abundance. God will provide. Offer your first believing that he will be faithful to bring the rest. But here's the second thing that this, that starts to break down when we bring our offering of our first. It's, 
It's God in our hearts and our souls breaking down that thought pattern that says, I'll never get beyond this. I'll never grow beyond this. I could never get over that addiction. I could never overcome this character trait. I could never really be loved by anyone or actually truly love anyone. I could never step into that goal, that dream. I could, I could, that's for other people. That's just not for me. That's scarcity thinking. And this offering is breaking that down at the most fundamental levels because it's reminding us that our God is able to do far more, what? Abundantly than all that we could ask or think according to the power at work within whom? Us, us. It's God, you're at work. And God, you're at work, not just for scarcity's sake to get us by, but, but God, you're at work for abundance. Abundance, And so I just have to wonder in your life, are there things that you're withholding, ways that you're holding back, your finest, your first, that are actually training your brain to live in a scarcity mindset? Your heart to say, I'll settle for believing that could never happen for me. I'll never have enough. And I wonder if there's an invitation for you to step into by believing that there is in fact more to come. That's what the first fruit offerings declares. So let me encourage you to bring your first. Let me encourage you to bring your finest. Before you do anything else, let me encourage you to bring that to God and see how he might work in the midst of that offering. Verse three, but the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. This is really interesting because the burnt offering, wholly consumed. Nobody got any of it except God. The grain offerings, some of it is burned as an offering to God. And then some of it, some of it is given to the priests so that they get the chance to make bread. It's this really interesting, both for God, vertical, and for others, horizontal. It's as though God is saying, this is one way that you can love God, and it's a way that you can love others. That these two things are interconnected within this sacrifice. The intersection of worship with tangible love is seen in the grain offering because it loosens the shackles of, of our selfishness. See, in this one offering, we see idolatry starting to get broken down. We see scarcity starting to lose its grip and we see selfishness in our own hearts and lives starting to get untangled. I, um, this week I was struck by the fact that I have lived a good portion of my adult life off of the grain offering. And I'm humbled by that. I mean, it feels a little bit even vulnerable to say it, but it's true. I mean, I'm guessing that the priests in 
the days of Leviticus, if somebody would bring a grain offering, my guess is there was a thank you that was exchanged. You worked in your field, I'm working in the tabernacle, but your fingers and your hands are dirty. And because of that, I'm gonna eat. And I'm guessing that there was a deep sense of, of gratitude that was given back to both God and to the people. And I guess I just wanna say, for those of you who faithfully give, I'm one of the beneficiaries of that. I don't wanna hide that. And I just wanna say, thank you. Thank you for the way that you faithfully live out the finest and the first, bringing it to God. Thank you on behalf of our staff who also benefit. It's a joy to serve you. It's an absolute joy. But I feel like just say, to say thank you. Thank you, because I know that you make sacrifices and because of that, I eat. Thank you. It's interesting to me that this was expanded as we go through Deuteronomy, not just to be for the priests, but also the the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow, that, that those who were in the community and oftentimes on the outskirts of the community were blessed because of the people's generosity. See, whenever you give to the care fund, you come alongside of people in our church body who are hurting and you say, we are a church together and we wanna walk with you in the midst of your financial need. We want to show up. When you give to our um, outreach fund, you come alongside organizations like Olive Crest or say families that are working with uh, the fatherless. You, you help people who are, who are widows, who are struggling, who don't have any other way. And I just wanna say, thank you. You bring your first, you bring your finest and God turns it into a blessing for so many people. Thank you, thank you. And so here's what happens in our hearts when we bring our grain offering to God. Our idols are dethroned. Our mindset is reshaped from scarcity to abundance. And we get the chance to look at other people and go, I wanna care for you in a tangible way to show the love of God. When we give God a portion, we experience the freedom of knowing that he is the source of all, all of our provision. What a beautiful picture, isn't it? So good. So good. I mentioned last week that Christ is the fulfillment of the burnt offering, but I'd also suggest to you that he's the fulfillment of of the grain offering. That just after Jesus had taught on the hillside and then fed 5,000 people. In John chapter six, he said this, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the, what? I'm the bread of life and I'm about to be sacrificed. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that came down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I imagine him pointing at himself. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. I love that picture. I love that picture because he reminds his listeners that they got manna, they got their daily bread in the desert, but that ultimately was not enough to satisfy that was not enough to give them the meet their needs, their deepest needs, the needs of their soul. And so he promises to be the bread of heaven, 
to meet their deepest, most ardent needs, the, the needs that keep them up at night so that they would be nourished and that they would never die. See friends, Christ is the giver of our bread, but he is also the bread itself. He is the giver, but he's also the gift. He's the true food that our soul needs to be nourished in the way that God designs. See, Jesus is our source and he's also the one who satisfies our souls. And that satisfaction is something that we can find nowhere else. Go to as many all-inclusive resorts as you want. Go on as many cruises as you want, but you will never be satisfied ultimately until you feast on Jesus. So we pray with David, though my heart and my flesh may fail, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Lord, we wanna be those kinds of people who, who bring our portion and in so doing remind our souls that you are the source of all of our provision. God, open our eyes, open our hearts today that we might genuinely pray, give me today my daily bread because we're so connected to our need. We're so connected to our desire for you and our longing for you. Lord, we bring our whole selves before you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.